welcome back to the Teen Inc. Podcast! As you may have already seen, we are going to be taking a look at some of the unique hobbies that teens around the world are participating in these days. With the world at your fingertips now, I mean essentially, it's easier now more than ever to find a niche community or hobby that caters to each and every one of your interests and quirks. As a Teen Inc. editor, I read hundreds of articles written by teenagers about hobbies that I've never even heard of before, but I found myself wanting to know more just because of how passionately you describe them and the joy that it brings you to participate in them. And hobbies reflect a lot upon who you are and who you will grow up to be. I think of it like my personal favorite video game, which is a hobby, uh, The Sims. If you spend your free time playing chess, you might consider yourself to be a logical person. Whereas if you spend your time painting or cooking or sewing, you might view yourself as more creative. And the great thing about hobbies is you can never have too many, unless you have so many that you can no longer dedicate any time at all to other hobbies. Okay, so I guess scratch what I just said. You can have too many hobbies, but as long as you're having fun, you can never have too many. So follow your heart and your instincts. A new hobby can potentially change your life. You never know. I've met almost all of my friends through my hobbies, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So the articles that I'm going to read today range from above ground activities to underwater and quite literally everything in between. I hope you learn something from these stories, uh, at the very least learning that these hobbies exist, and if one of them strikes your fancy, I encourage you to do some research and try it out yourself. And I'll get into um, the writing prompt at the end of this episode, but if uh, you feel like you have an obscure or hidden talent or interesting hobby that not many people know about, why don't you uh, write a little something up about it and send it to Teen Inc. Because I am very interested. So you'll have at least one captive audience to hear about your very, very unique hobby. All right, without any further ado, here are this week's articles. This article is called My Journey, and it is an anonymous article. In the suburbs of the Arizona desert, a boy stands all alone. All alone with nothing but a plank of wood, four wheels, and determination like hunting a lion in the wild. He stands in front of his Spanish colonial house that was colored a light brown, making it look like it was covered in brown sugar. Cradled in his arms is the new skateboard he used his birthday money to buy. He's been patiently waiting for this moment for months, patiently waiting to be like the kids on his TV. It seemed almost impossible the way they moved, being able to make the board stick to their feet as they rose into the air, almost as if they had glued their shoes to the top of the board. The way they flipped their boards this way and that, and yet somehow still managed to land back on top, like the board never left their feet. To the boy, it was magic. He stood there with a look of wonder in his eye, staring at the board, not knowing where to begin. His parents watched him secretly through a window, feeling slightly agitated given that they had gotten him a brand new bike for Christmas not two months ago, which he had begged for and only used a few times before throwing it to the side like garbage. His parents had done their job to expose their son to as many different activities as possible, but no matter what he tried, his time of interest would be short. They watched the boy, thinking to themselves, here he goes again. 
something new to occupy him for some time before he decides that he's bored of it and moves on to another source of entertainment. His parents were quite supportive of the boy, who was constantly rushing around like a river, so even though they thought these things, they would simply smile at him when they saw his bubbling excitement for his new toy. In the middle of the street, a refreshing February breeze whispered into the boy's ears and brushed against his face. He breathed in, filling his lungs with cool air, then exhaled, only leaving him with a grin. After the first month, the boy was left with ripped holes infesting his shoes and his legs bruised and bloodied. His arms had scrapes that had begun to form cracked scabs, which felt rough and stung when he would run his fingers over them. He had gone through an immense amount of pain, trying to do the most facile things. He had never expected that it would be so hard to do something as simple as going up a curb or even rolling down it. He was worn out, but regardless of this fact, he was in love. He was in love with the challenge, but even more, he was in love with the reward, and the boy couldn't stop. When he got home from school, he wouldn't make it past the front door before grabbing his precious piece of wood, which to him had become like a child, and ran for the street. Hours would pass before he would go inside, with dirt from the street staining his skin and clothes, sweat dripping profusely down his body, and mixing with the dirt, which only made him look dirtier. His clothes looked like they had been submerged underwater before he put them on, and he loved it all. He had never felt this feeling in all the days he had been alive. It breathed life into him, and made him feel as free as a bird. No rules, no boundaries, just whatever obstacle was in front of him and his creativity. Four years had passed, but to the boy, it felt like the blink of an eye. The boy had done things he had never imagined he could do. He was just like the kids he had seen on TV all that time ago. All his time was spent at a concrete playground, littered with people of all ages, shapes, and sizes, but they were all just like him. When he would walk into the park, there wasn't a face he didn't know, and he would always be greeted by someone, almost as if he lived there. The concrete dipped up and down, towered above everyone, and you could see who had been there from the multicolored markings on the walls and the ground. In the summer, the sun would beat down on the concrete, making it like molten rock, so it would cling to any skin that touched it. During this time, while the sun was out, the park was abandoned, so you could only hear the birds chirping and the cars passing by. But as the scorching sun fell into the dusk, the park would come alive with people. You could hear the sound of chatter in every direction, metal trucks scraping on metal coping, and the slamming of urethane on concrete at every second. There were people flying in the air and coming down in the carefully made curvature of the concrete with the gracefulness of a swan. The boy would spend his time trying one thing over and over until he would finally meet the gratifying feeling of rolling away on all four wheels, and every day this feeling would come faster than the last. He would converse on the side with friends that he had been with and grown with for years, and he loved being with them because they were his people, and he was theirs. Through the years, locals would disappear, leaving their dream of skateboarding behind, and there would often be new faces who were just discovering the magic, as he once did. But no matter who was there and who wasn't, it wasn't his love for the sport that kept him going. He couldn't ever imagine himself stopping, and couldn't imagine his life without it. He had finally found where he belonged. This article is called The Deep Blue Sea, and it is also from an anonymous author. Let's get strapped up, my instructor tells me. As a 10-year-old, I can hardly wait to get into the water. The thought of scuba diving in the second biggest barrier reef in the world engulfed me in excitement. We went over the basics before I submerged. I felt too impatient to listen. As I leaned backwards into the water, I could feel the coolness of the sea swallow me whole. A wave of uneasiness overwhelmed my body. 
my impatience, turned to uncertainty, caused my stomach to turn. The watermelon I ate earlier rolled around as if knotting my intestines. To me, the deep blue sea did not look like it ended. I felt unwelcomed. I turned to my dad to resolve my anxious feelings, but he was nowhere to be seen. An unfamiliar hand grasped my arm, my diving instructor, who had seen the panic set in my eyes, comforted me, and began to lead the way. We all followed, leaving a line of eager bubbles racing towards the surface. Down the rope, descending into the ocean. Inching downwards, I felt a burden creep from inside of my ear. The feeling of the pressure, like my head is about to explode. Equalizing to ease the pain, my eyes catch a glimpse of the underwater world laid out before me. The ocean floor bustled with life, curious fish of all sizes. The light bouncing off the surface danced with hypnotizing movements. I felt like I had entered a different planet. Although the colors consisted of blues and greens, I used my imagination to place reds, oranges, and yellows where I knew they seemed fit. Every corner I turned, I saw something new. Sharks moseying along the sandy bottom, minding their own business, graceful rays elegantly flapping their wings, tiny fish darting here and there, avoiding the giant aliens invading their aquatic home. Nothing could prepare me for the giant sea turtle that gently floated over the reef. It was bigger than my dad, which didn't seem possible to me at the time. Ten minutes underwater felt like ten seconds. As my instructor motioned the group to return to the boat, I felt robbed. I didn't want to go back to basking on the beach or playing catch poolside. We stayed five feet below the surface for three minutes to avoid getting the spins. As my head breached the surface of the water, I felt born again. So many thoughts raced through my mind, but the only one that I could make out was, I can't wait until I come back here again. This article talks about a hobby that some may not think is a hobby, but if you like it enough to keep pursuing it, why not? It is called Deep Dune Digging, and it was written by Lucas Tyler. Solidified sand separated swiftly, hands hurriedly cupped and curling. Without a tool do my hands dig, like a truffle-hunting pig. A beach sparse with people and smoothened by wind is where I started digging. Digging is fun, digging deep is delightful, and digging deliquescent dunes is dreamlike. Mind blank, moving mole-like, my hands move, for fun and frustration is expected in the future. A trip to the beach to dig, others play or swim, but I dig, because it is fun to my youthful self of eight summers. Without reason or true purpose other, dig, dig, dig for fun. The start is fast and the sand is loose. My mind thinks it's first thought in minutes. How far down is the water? Around maybe 30 more minutes, answers myself with past experience as a source. Everything is normal around the mole-like miner. The sea is green and its gulls gray. The birds barrage the beaches, looking for its bounty. All is normal, and the hole grows deeper. The excess sand forms a wall, stopping the hole from becoming a well, and that wall only grows. The digging continues and the dryness dies out in favor of compacted sand. The digging gets harder, so the hurried hands slow, trying to gouge greater pieces than before. The time transforms into a constraint containing my digging desire. To increase the depth, my digging must dive down into the hole, scraping the floor and then pulling myself up to add more to the rising water-blocking wall. A test of depth is in order, and up to hips the hole happens to be. A twinge of pain and a slight nick appears on my finger. A gaze for the culprit shows a small crab, crazily eyed and mad at my mistake, misusing my hands and disturbing it. 
To fix this issue, my sand-scraped hands dig a small branching path in which the small crab goes. Eye stalks moving and claws clamping a final time, the crab crawls in and covers the crevice with clinging sand. The whole hole is not done yet. It must be deeper. I wish to see water waiting at the bottom. A persisting pause for food fills in the hole somewhat by way of other humans kicking sand in. The lunch has sand encrusted in it, just like the hands holding it, yet any food is welcome after a time spent digging. Back to the hole and back to how much my back hurts from the constant dipping in and out, making it deeper. My hands protest and wish for looser sand as respite. A cry and plead arises around myself for a break of the dipping and the compacted sand. Lie down for a bit, please, my back urges. I am bejeweled in sand, my hands complain. Make the hole deeper, commands my mole-like self. Make it wider at the top for easier sand and less up and down, comments my brain, being used for the first time in hours. So it was. An easier path around the edge had begun beguiling my hands with easy-moving grains. My back caterwauls for rest, yet easy to ignore the mule-like mole miner finds it whales to be. Ignoring insights, as was the sand. Stubbornness and wish for fun drove my hands into the side of the hole to expand. Time passes again, and the end of the day comes near. My mom tells me we are leaving in around 30 minutes, so I should clean up and try to unencrust the sand from my hands. The hole was not done. It is never done. Because of time, and with a sense of sadness for what has to happen, I break down the water-blocking wall and start to fill in the hole. It takes some time, yet as I pat down the sand into place, I am content with how I spent my day at the beach. The feeling of nostalgia was already forming, and now it is a fond memory of a fun dig that had been and will be repeated. The walk to the water is without remorse of the time wasted digging a hole now filled in. The sand is like a second skin, and trying to get it off leaves my skin underneath very exfoliated. A rough and rapid polish of skin gives way to the hurried steps to aid in packing up. A look around for our items showed that the dig's dune disguise had taken effect, hiding the recent pat-down of sand and the exhumation of its contents. The evidence of that dig is dusted like the others, but its memory and entertainment will inspire more of its kind. This article is called Liquid Gold, and it was written by Brody Soong. Dawn Patrol. There's nothing like it in the world. For those unfamiliar, dawn patrol is the term used for morning surf sessions at the brink of dawn. The cold, salty air blows onto your face from the dimly lit surf. You can barely see the waves, yet you can hear them crashing and tumbling over each other as they reach the shore. Getting into the water is the hardest part. You know the water is going to be freezing cold. However, the discomfort is only temporary, and without fail, within five minutes or so, your body is acclimated and you are ready to surf. For your bravery to take a deep dive into the icy waters, you are rewarded with the most pristine waves you've ever surfed. The water is like a sheet of flowing glass barreling in on itself. There's a magical moment when the sun peeks over the horizon and the waves light up into a beautiful dance of orange sunlight. It's almost like a sea of flowing lava, sending chills of euphoria down your spine. I find that this is how most things in life are. The hardest tasks always end up being the most rewarding. My alarm clock blares. It's five o'clock in the morning and my room is completely dark. I sigh in agony as I struggle to get out of bed. Five more minutes, I thought. Just five more. The cold morning air never fails to make you want to stay in bed. Fifteen minutes and two missed calls later, I finally get up. 
I call back Kanaloa, my friend since high school. Are you up yet? He asks frustratingly. Yeah, chill, I'm getting ready, I respond. Okay, just meet me at Sandy's in half an hour, said Kanaloa, before hanging up the phone. Sandy's is our favorite beach because it catches the south swells perfectly in the summertime. My house is dead silent. The only noise to be heard is the roosters crowing and the waves breaking far in the distance. I quietly pack up my jeep up with the surfboards, trying not to wake my dogs up. This better be worth it, I think, while pulling out of my driveway. I arrive at the beach. I can't see anything except two red glowing taillights in the parking lot. The taillights belong to Kanaloa's Tacoma, which his father gave him for his 16th birthday. I pull up next to him. It's absolutely pumping, Kanaloa yells. Pipe Little's going off, I yell back with excitement. Pipe Little's what we call the surf break on the left side of the beach due to its resemble to Pipeline. Of course, it never gets as big as Pipeline, but the pristine barrels are identical. We waste no time getting ready as the sun barely awakes to make the sky a very dim, light blue. Hurry up, Kanaloa yells while running headfirst into the ice-cold shore break. I wait for the perfect time to paddle out to the break. As I wait there, preparing to take the plunge, I can taste the salt water blowing back at me from the shore. You got this, I think, trying to convince myself that the cold won't be that bad. The wind dies down and the waves are calm. It's go time. I run towards the water. My mind is calm and my body is ready. For the next five minutes, I am unable to think of anything besides how god-awful cold it is. My body is shivering, but my mind is as strong as an ox. I refuse to get out of the water, even though everything in my body is telling me I need to get out. Took you long enough, Kanaloa said. Shut up, I respond jokingly. Talking is a great way to take your mind off the cold. I caught a couple of waves in the dark before the magic moment. Just a sliver of the sun peeks over the horizon, but it's enough to change the landscape from a dark, salty abyss into a flowing field of golden hills that seem to never end. I'm not cold anymore. The temperature no longer matters. Nothing does. The only thing that matters to me at this moment is my board and the waves. It's a feeling of bliss. People think that good things come easily. This couldn't be further from the truth. Without taking the dive into the freezing water, you can't expect to find golden waves. Anyone can watch the sunrise from the beach, but there is nothing like being in the water and taming the sea. They can't feel the board gliding through the water, sending sprays of fire into the sunrise. This reward is only granted to those willing to take the dive. Those brave enough to endure the cold because they know what is yet to come. When I was in the seventh grade, I left my family and my friends to go to a boarding school with a whole bunch of people that I'd never met. This was one of the bravest and scariest things I've ever done. Saying goodbye to my friends and family was a feeling colder than any windchill could ever be. Getting on a plane to a school that I'd never been to, surrounded by people I don't know, was a deeper dive than any ocean. For the first time in my life, I felt truly alone. Just as your body acclimates to the cold weather, so did I to my new environment. I started making new friends and having new and exciting experiences. Now, six years later, I look back on my time in boarding school with a heart full of joy. These experiences are all I remember. They come flowing back like sets of perfect waves forever crashing in my mind. This is my reward. My life is filled with friends I will never lose and memories I could never forget. The cold is a sacrifice that I would make time and time again to experience the golden warmth of Dawn Patrol. In these articles, you heard stories about people's hobbies, but most importantly, you heard firsthand about how finding your perfect hobby opens the doors to finding your place in the world, finding your community, and finding that thing that keeps life worth living. 
When you find your perfect hobby, you want to see what the next day will hold. Will you perfect a new skateboarding trick? Or will you finally unearth buried treasure? So, here's this week's writing prompt. What are your unique hobbies and interests? Write a love story to your hobby or tell how you first got involved with it. Maybe you make paper doll chains to hang up in your room. Maybe you crochet all your clothes. Maybe you try and ride your bike to a different location every week. Maybe you make weekly commentary videos after uh, every episode of your favorite TV show. Who knows? As I said earlier, hobbies are what makes you, you. They should be celebrated. How does your hobby affect who you are and how you see yourself? You can submit your answers to teening.com submit. Next week, we're going to be talking about family traditions, especially as it relates to the holidays. Does your family have a unique tradition? How do you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or anything else? If you write about it, you might end up in next week's episode. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all of you. I will speak to you next week. Goodbye.